0: Today's Gospel reading is taken from John chapter 2, starting with verse 13 through verse 22, and this will be from where I'll take my prepared message. John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those who were selling cattle, sheep, and doves, as well as those involved in exchanging currency sitting there. He made a whip from ropes and chased them all out of the temple, including the cattle and the sheep. He scattered the coins and overturned the tables of those who exchanged currency. He said to the dove sellers, get these things out of here. Don't make my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it is written, passion for your house consumes me. Then the Jewish leaders asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? What miraculous sign will you show us? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jewish leaders replied, It took 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days? But the temple Jesus was talking about was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So... It seems to me that Jesus does as much tearing things down as he does building things up. Another way of putting it might be this way, Jesus does as much disrupting as he does constructing. And when Jesus is disruptive, he often does it in a way that everyone notices. They may not understand, but they certainly notice. In the scripture text I just read, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem and he enters this temple we read that he found in the temple those who were selling cattle, sheep and doves, as well as those involved in exchanging currency. Now this wasn't really too or- out of the ordinary for that time. Like many pilgrims, Jesus traveled to Jerusalem because of Passover. And like many of the pilgrims of that day, he heads straight to the temple. And in the temple was this collection of pilgrims, merchants, money changers, and animals as they took time to pay the temple tax and seek out a priest so they could offer sacrifices necessary for what is called the ritual purity so they could participate fully in the Passover. So basically it was this very chaotic scene filled with animals and people getting ready for Passover. Now without warning Jesus grabs up some rope proceeds to use it as a whip and begins swinging it round and round and round, chasing everyone out of the temple, including the cattle and the sheep, and he doesn't stop there. Next, he takes his hand and he swipes all the money and all the coins off the table, all over the place, and he turns over all the tables and all those exchanging money. The place is a mess. This place is a chaos. Most of the animals are gone, but some are still milling around, confused and nervous, Most of the people I imagine have left left because no one sticks around when there's a guy in a room swinging around a whip made out of ropes. Coins are scattered all over the floor with maybe a possible kid or two sneaking back in to grab some loose change and hightail it out of there before anyone comes to their senses. Chaos, mess, total disarray. That's what you have going on here. This is now the condition of the temple. Moments before, everything had its place. There was a place for the stalls, a place for the animals. There was a place for the money changers, and there was a place to purchase animals. There was a place you could find the priests, and there was a place for the sacrifices. There was a place for everything, and everything had its place. And then Jesus comes in and just literally turns everything upside down. I think we're far more comfortable when everything has its place. I know I am. We're far more comfortable when everyone knows their place. This way we know what to expect. We know what we can control. There's no surprises and we don't have to deal with change or even those things that may challenge our own understanding or thinking. I remember attending a conference years and years ago and the speaker said something like this at one of the sessions. Church is not about keeping people in their place. It's about making a place for people That made sense to me. And what I've also come to know is that there are moments when Jesus comes into my life and moves things around, or life itself displaces everything, and now everything feels out of place. My soul feels out of place. I feel out of place. Sometimes my own beliefs and understandings have changed, and places that I felt in place, I now feel out of place. And it's in those moments and times that it's Jesus and God's grace that helps me to sort through the mess and to find a new place for what I'm coming to understand, experience, and learn. Now, Jesus isn't done. He proceeds to say to those selling the doves, get those things out of here. Don't make my father's house a place of business. Now, things are happening pretty fast in John's Gospel. And it's all in very short sentences, but don't miss that sentence. Quote, don't make my father's house a a place of business. End quote. You see, the temple at that time was more than a building to these folks. It was intended to be that place where heaven and earth would meet and where God would dwell. This is where the one God of creation would dwell, living in the midst of his people. This is what the temple meant to them. So first Jesus calls them out for turning this dwelling place of God of all creation into this place of crass commercial commercialism. It's so easy, I guess, if you think about it this way, to turn everything in life into some commodity that we all see its pragmatic value, and we lose the sense of its mystery and its sacredness of all that is around us. Now, this doesn't mean that we stop all fundraisers. Those often serve as an important role in providing funds for those in need as well as building community. But I think it does invite us to remember that the church is first and always the body of Christ the divine presence of God in the community in which we exist. I've often heard for years someone say the church is like a business and I probably have said that a few times myself. But then we forget the divine nature of the church and its calling. Now to be sure we can borrow best practices from the business world, but the church is first and foremost the presence of Christ in the places we inhabit. Second, Jesus refers to this temple as his father's house. Jesus makes The claim that he is intimately connected to the temple because he is intimately connected to God. In short, he says God is his father. Now, not only has Jesus upset and turned over the tables and the whole day's events, he now begins to turn the tables, if you will, on the whole understanding of the Jewish leaders and their understanding of the temple, of God, and of the whole system. And you see, Jesus does as much deconstructing as he does constructing when it comes to life. He often turned upside down the prevalent thinking of the day, and he challenged those who would listen to think and live in a different way. In fact, he would probably say this, not only do your systems no longer work, the systems that you intend are not what God intended. Your systems of religion and piety are not what God intended. So then comes the obvious question from the Jewish leaders nearby. They ask this, By what authority are you doing these things? What miraculous signs will you show us? Because I think when things turn upside down and challenge the system, the system always wants to know by what authority you are doing these things. Because systems are always about authority and control. And those who are invested in the systems need to know who is in charge. For if they aren't in charge, who is in charge? Jesus is upsetting the whole understanding of things. He's upsetting the systems. He's upsetting the awareness of who is in control and who has authority. Jesus answers, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Now we know that Jesus wasn't talking about the actual temple, but the Jewish leaders at that moment didn't know that. To them, this was crazy talk. It took 46 years to build the present temple, and Jesus was talking about destroying it and rebuilding it in three days. John offers us this simple explanation, but the temple Jesus was talking about was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. You see, the leaders, the power brokers, and system keepers of the day thought Jesus was talking about this physical temple. This is the only way they could understand it and see it. But Jesus, as he always does, came to turn their understanding upside down and challenge them to see life in a different way. It wasn't about deconstructing a physical building. It was about deconstructing how they understood their own religion, how they understood their own faith, and then reconstructing it, if you will, based on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the new creation, the new aliveness. So, why do we hold on to ways of thinking and understanding that don't work anymore or don't make any sense? Maybe it's all we've ever known, and to see things differently makes us feel as if we're breaking rank with either family or friends or maybe our faith group. Maybe it's comfortable for us, and in a world which has so much unknown around us, at least this is something that we know, even if it doesn't really make sense to us anymore and it doesn't even energize our souls. We'd rather hang on to something dead that we know than reach out to something alive that we don't know much about. Maybe we're simply scared and fearful, fearful of what others may think, fearful of what our family members may think, fearful of what we may have to let go of in order to embrace what is now new in our thinking and our understanding. It's true, there are those in our life who love us just as we are, but they also probably would prefer that we stay just as we are. And moving out and away from that can feel very scary. I'm kind of glad that in John's Gospel we get this scene of Jesus right away in chapter 2. It's like there's no surprises now. We know what Jesus can do. We know what Jesus is capable of. We know Jesus' intentions and missions. We know very early on that Jesus has no intentions of sanctioning systems that work against God's intentions or God's purposes or God's mercy and God's justice. Rather, Jesus comes into this world to show us a different way to live that often involves a different way of thinking and a different way of understanding, which, by the way, also is the uh, the meaning of the word repent, to think differently, to go in a different direction. It's almost as if his actions in the temple are really Jesus' way of showing that he has come to turn things upside down. He's come to upset the system. He's come to shake things up a bit and leave them in a bit of disarray and then invite everyone to begin to seek and understand a different way of believing and a different way of living. This is why I think it's very intentional that the next story in John chapter 3, after this temple scene, is Jesus and his encounter with Nicodemus. Here's a Pharisee and a Jewish leader who comes to Jesus with his own religious and spiritual understanding in disarray. And we know we know that this is a stretch for Nicodemus, for we're told that he came to Jesus at night under the cover of darkness. So Nicodemus leans into this shaking and old understanding that he has, and he begins to name at least this this new understanding and awareness that he's feeling. And here's what he says, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus responds with these very familiar words, I assure you, Jesus says, unless someone is born anew or born again, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. In other words, Nicodemus's understanding and his thinking and his scene need to be reborn. He'll be the same Nicodemus on the outside, but he'll have a new understanding and a new vision on the inside. Now let's be clear, friends. This verse is not an evangelistic verse meant just for revivals and crusades. This is an invitation by Jesus for everyone and anyone that finds himself with a faith that no longer works, that no longer makes sense, and they are seeking a faith that connects them with something much more alive, Much more energizing, much more life giving. I mean, to all of us, Jesus says you need to be reborn in your understanding, in your thinking, in how you see life. Jesus doesn't deconstruct just to leave everything in disarray and in pieces. In fact, when we begin to listen closely to the living Christ and follow in the way of Jesus, that alone is enough to begin to turn over a few tables in our thinking and to cause some disarray in our understanding and to deconstruct whatever structures we have relied on and depended on. Maybe for years we've simply relied on what others have taught us, or we've adhered to what we thought we were supposed to believe. Maybe our own spiritual life and journey has been more an experience of group think or herd mentality rather than thinking and believing for ourselves. Maybe we have a moment of crisis where we realize that our version of Jesus and our version of Christianity has been more Americanized and now we're beginning to see how even the way of Jesus and the kingdom of God challenges those assumptions and invites us to live in a different way. In all of these experiences, it's like we begin to feel the tables being turned over in our soul and the displacement of what we have always felt to be true. And we now sense this loving, gracious authority, a new kind of authority in our life. The authority of Jesus inviting us to see the spiritual life, to see life in a whole new different way. It's all very scary and all very life-giving at the same time. For years we've had these other voices of authority in us and around us telling us what to do and what to believe, and now the living Christ, the living presence of Jesus within, is like a new and gracious life-giving authority that begins to lead and speak to us and help us to see life in a different way. Now sometimes life itself has its own disruptions that causes us to feel displaced, as well as mess up everything in our lives that seems to have its place. There's the sudden loss of a relationship or the death of a family member, a close friend, or even a spouse or partner. There is the unexpected medical diagnosis when all seems to be going well. There is the unexpected layoff or even the suggestion of early retirement. There is the season of depression that comes upon you quickly but seems as if it'll never end and it just lingers. There are all the signs of aging that all of a sudden seem to be happening every day, and there's the stresses of life. Kids in school, pandemics, applying to college, paying for college, schedules that seem out of control, and schedules that feel like they're managing, managing us more than we're managing the schedule. And it's in those moments that we long, at least I long, for a faith that works in the midst of everyday life, in its struggles, in its heartaches, in its disappointments, and in its stressors. In this temple story in John 2, Jesus essentially is telling all who will listen that he is now the new temple. Because it's in Jesus that one sees and experiences God. In Jesus, heaven and earth converge. This is the difference with Jesus, that as this new temple, he might be destroyed. But in three days, he as the new temple will rise again and live forever. The presence of God can never be destroyed. The love of God can never be destroyed. The life of God can never now be destroyed. The power of God can never be destroyed, or in the words of the Apostle Paul, nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. In the first chapter of John, we read these familiar words: "The Word became flesh and made His home among us." Now, some translations use the word "dwell." Either way, the original word was tabernacle for for home or for dwell, and one could literally read John 1.14 this way: "The Word became flesh." and tabernacled among us. In other words, the same divine presence located in the tabernacle in the wilderness that went wherever the Israelites went is now in Jesus. Jesus is the new tabernacle. Jesus is the new temple and this presence is now with us in all of our displacements in all of our disruptions and all of our dislocations of our life. And how close is this presence? I really like the way The late Eugene Peterson paraphrases it in his translation or paraphrase the message. This is what he writes. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. What are neighborhoods? Neighborhoods are where life happens. Neighborhoods are families, are marriages, are struggles, are pain, are heartache, are joys. Moments of wonder, moments of awe, moments of leisure. Moments of mystery. This always reminds me that God's presence, the divine presence of love, is always as near as the issues we struggle with on a daily basis. Jesus is always with us in our deepest struggles, our most profound pain, our greatest doubts, and our biggest confusion. Even in our moments of uncertainty, Jesus is with us. When it feels as if everything we had once believed no longer makes sense, Jesus is with us. In these moments, Jesus invites us to be open to the new God might be doing within our lives and our world, even when it seems like everything was being turned upside down and the tables have turned. George MacDonald, the late Scottish writer, offers these words. Do you love your faith so little that you have never battled a single fear lest your faith should not be true? Where there are no doubts, no questions, no perplexities, there can be no growth. Growth can be hard, but growth can be rich. Growth can be a struggle, but growth can be so powerful and meaningful. And do you and I love our faith so little that we resist or never want the tables turned or to be displaced or to have some things rethought or to rethink our own lives? Lent can be a time of disruption. Life can be experience of disruption. Even our own spiritual journey can feel as if we're moving away from old understandings to new understandings, and that can feel unsettling. Even the systems and the structures of the world around us, which we have become so used to, they may seem to be falling apart and to be dismantled right before our very eyes. And as unsettling as this may seem, it might also be the beginning of something new, new in our lives and new in our world. In fact, The last book of the Bible, Revelation, tells us about a new heaven and a new earth being created right in front of us and right within us. And that God's dwelling is with his people and all of creation. And what this tells us is this is the direction God is headed. This is the intention and purposes of God. And maybe the disruptions, maybe the displacements in our lives and our world are not the end of something but really the beginning of something, something new, something life-giving, something abundant, as God continues to create and recreate our world and our lives.